Welcome to Avis After Hours, a podcast focused on the intersection of innovation, finance, and community. Today, we are joined by Rob Panapinto, who has over 25 years of experience in scaling high-growth companies and has been involved in the expansion of the Central Florida business community for decades. After a successful exit of a healthcare technology company, Rob has been an advisor to social entrepreneurs, he has run for local political office, and is now combining these experiences and launching Gobo Venture Partners. Rob? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. What I first want to touch on is maybe just your background, because if you look at your bio, it's like Rob Panapinto showed up in Central Florida 25 years ago. <laughs> and I'm curious about the 25 years before that. Yeah. Education, upbringing, did sure. you have this social, um, did you have this <clears throat> entrepreneurship you know, bend to you yeah. early on? So I was born in New York City. So I, I, grew, up in, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, New York. In the, uh, anyone who's been to Brooklyn right now, it's kind of the really sexy part of Brooklyn, close to Manhattan. I lived all the way on the other side of Brooklyn, <laughs> which was closer to Queens, actually rather suburban for people who have a sort of a perception of, of what Brooklyn looks like. In fact, those sexy parts of Brooklyn were places back in those days you actually didn't want to go to. They were kind of rough parts of, rough parts down. So my wife and I got married in 1990. And by that time, I'd gotten out of grad school. Uh, I went to NYU for an undergrad, was pre-law took two semesters of uh, law courses and said, oh, this is not, this is, <laughs> this is not for me. And then I think law is, is one of those professions. You better like be really passionate. About it. And clearly yeah. I wasn't right. So I, I transitioned into, um, I kept my political science major, but I transitioned into journalism and, and writing and then went to grad school and got a, a master's in public communications. And so I'd gotten a job out of school place. I'd worked at as I was in school, my wife was a teacher. I was working in Times Square on 42nd between 8th and 9th. This is the late 80s, early 90s. So this is pre-Giuliani, pre-Bloomberg, when when 42nd Street was kind of beginning to change, but mm -hmm. was still kind of, you know, again, kind of a rough place. All the pornography shops were, were still there. And my parents had moved to Orlando the year after I got married. And so I was taking a train, a subway into New York every day from Brooklyn. And my wife was, you know, trucking to her job. And we'd come down to Orlando and go, damn, it's really <laughs> nice down here. I mean, it's beautiful. Everyone's living in new houses. We were in our mid-20s. We had no kids. And like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, why, why are we, why are we killing ourselves? It's funny. Most of the kid uh, friends I went to high school with, a lot of them left. I mean, that a lot of that generation left. I think the city's actually had an interesting renaissance since then, but a lot of people who grew up kind of in New York City in the late '80s and early '90s, we all we all kind of left, and so I I came to Florida. I think like a, for a lot of reasons, people have always come to Florida because right. they see it as this amazing place of opportunity. The weather's great, the costs are lower. And it's, is that what your parents did as well? Is that why they yeah, came down? Yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah, they had. I mean, they had uh, uh, my mom and my stepdad, and he was kind of winding down. He was uh, a Main Street shopkeeper kind of guy. He owned a couple of independent pharmacies. Those were phasing out, right? The CVSs and the the big right. chains were starting to come in, and so even for him, it was kind of a transition in life. And and he came down to Florida, and so we came down, and uh, so that's how I, you know, that's how I got to I got to Florida. Was Stacy from New York City as well? She was, yeah. She actually grew up in the same neighborhood that I did, but we went to separate high schools, so we did not meet. That's funny. until. We were both college. We actually met on a blind. We actually met on a blind date. Really? My, mom, my mom set us up. Believe it or not. So your dad had those independent pharmacies. Is that kind of where some of the entrepreneurial? If you'd have asked me at twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, I, I don't know that that's where I was going. I think it was very much around just trying to build a life and a career, trying to do something that I thought was was interesting. But as I've gotten older, and you sort of think back. And it actually is sort of governed even by thoughts around the role the, the a business plays in a community. It was definitely framed by that because he owned two independent pharmacies, you know, in some in a in a poor area in Brooklyn. Um, this was before everyone had health insurance, or not everyone, right? Everyone still doesn't, but right. fewer people had health insurance, more people were private paying. And, you know, he'd be one of those guys that if the mom couldn't pay for her drugs that week, he'd say, Don't worry about it. I got you, you know, mm -hmm. I got you next week. And he hired the kids in the neighborhood. And and so, again, I don't think I, it didn't drive me in my early 20s, I'm going to go follow in this path. But it clearly was in the, you know, in the back of my head as right. I was growing up. And so when I started to become a business person in the community, I think there was definitely a, a pulling on me to, well, shoot, you got to get, 
you know, you got a responsibility here. You've got to get involved. And, and there's no doubt it, it came from, it came from that. I don't think I realized it till later, but it definitely came from that. What's the first role you held down here professionally? I got a job with a defense contractor, someone in the simulation and training business, early 90s. So even then, Orlando was a place that was doing a lot of work in defense-related simulation and training, and we're now the capital of that. And they had won this con they had won this contract at the Orange County Convention Center when it was just the one building at the convention center. Right. And they won a contract to build an interactive information kiosk in the Orange County Convention Center. Early touchscreen stuff using early Apple technology <laughs> would print a little coupon out of it. But they didn't have anyone who had any commercial experience. And I got to know the guy that was running the business, told him I was, he was a family friend, I think, as I recall. And they needed someone to come run it. And I was looking, you know, I was looking to come down. I, I was down here for two weeks on vacation and just interviewed. He said, I'll hire you. And so I just, you know, Love I just it. came down <laughs> and took a chance and I, I built that, you know, I built that business. Two years later, the convention center expanded and they didn't let us expand our contract. So now the writing was on the wall. I'm like, holy cow, like we've moved our, we've moved the two of us down here. I'm glad we're down here. But now I'm, you know, I'm the loan commercial guy and this defense contractor based out of Mobile, Alabama, and my contract's not getting expanded. And so then I started to, you know, started to look for something, for something else. But that's what got me, that's what got me down. But, but I was coming anyway. I, I sort of made the decision I was going to move and then, and then found the job. I figured I would just, you know, we were still young. I'd, I'd get into something. And then How long did you do that for? Two and a half, two and a half years, 93 to 96. Yeah. So after that contract was not extended, what was the, what was the next step there? So I called a headhunter who interviewed, sent me out on a bunch of interviews. One was running a recruiting office. Uh, and one, uh, which is the company I ultimately went to, I'll, I'll never forget it because the headhunter said, hey, you need to go out to Winter Garden. I lived at Oviedo at the time. Okay. You need to go out to Winter Garden for this interview. Oviedo to Winter Garden was about as far as you were going to be back in those days. It was over an hour right. at the time. And I, I drive, but don't worry, that's not where the job is, <laughs> which was a complete lie. So I drive out there. And again, think of another renaissance, like downtown Winter Garden is this really cool, vibrant place right now, right? This was when it was still basically a, a, a dead agriculture downtown. There was not much, there was not much there. And this was a few blocks past that. And it was this metal building, Butler building. There were chickens, there were dogs, there was all sorts of stuff going around. And there was a BMW and a Mercedes in the park, <laughs> in the front of the car, not even a parking lot like parked by a tree on a hill. I was like, where am I? Yeah, like, one of these things is not a lie. Like, where am I, right? It just didn't, it just didn't up. And I went in and I interviewed, and the company was called Magnetics, and it was an audio cassette manufacturer. They made books on tape. And the gentleman who became, would become my partner, was the founder of, my senior partner, was the founder of the company, a guy named Jack LaFort, who I'm a huge mentor in my life actually lives here in Winter Park now. He had bought it a few years back. He, another guy, Philly guy, <laughs> wanted to come down to Florida and wanted, needed to find a business to buy. And, he, and this was the business he found. They were, they were trying to transform into something else. I think there was a recognition even then that cassettes were you know, a dying technology. So what was going to be the next iteration of the business? And he was a visionary in that he saw that businesses were moving. And again, I'm, this is 1996 moving from business to business to business to consumer. And so how could we transition into those types of businesses? And some of our cassettes went into something and in packaging that could just as easily go to a consumer. So I came on board to run, time was called Directions, that was going to do mail, direct mail and fulfillment for our cassette clients and the general Orlando population. Hmm. And, and I went on the interview and I drove back and it was between this and running this recruiting office. Okay. <laughs> and, and they were both kind of the same income. They were both kind of the same thing. And, but because something, what you said, right? One of these things is not like the other. Like it just didn't add up, right? So I, and I had gotten to meet Jack and Bill, one of the other partners. And I said, these guys are in the middle of nowhere, but they're really smart guys. Something's, something's happening there right. that I want to be part of. <laughs> A lot more than going to run the Orlando office for, I don't even forget right. the name of the recruiting firm at the time. So I accepted that, I accepted that position and, and uh, that's the company that ultimately became 
connections that we, you know, scaled and grew. Oh, really? And sold. Okay. And, um, so what do you think about the growth of places like Winter Garden? Because when yeah. I think about the growth of Orlando, right? Yeah. When you see the city grow, it's a bunch of tall buildings and then you add another building, right? It's, it's there. Yeah. You see it. Yeah. But I think the growth is more apparent in Winter Garden, Sanford, place like I grew up in Sanford, right? Yeah. And yeah. San, downtown Sanford, when I grew up, was a place you did not go. Right. You did not go downtown. Yeah, there's a lot Sanford. of commonality to Winter Garden. And now, and you're seeing it in like, we have the Persimmon Hollow guys on. You're seeing it in Deland, right? You're yep. seeing these smaller communities yep. build their own identity. Yep. Businesses are actually going there to start and, yep. and grow. And so, how does what Winter Garden and, and places like Winter Garden, Sanford, Deland yeah. represent what's happening in Orlando? First of all, it, 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 it's, it's, it, it's a way, I think, to advance and protect the history of, of this area. Because there's this perception of of Orlando as you know basically been around only for 30 years or 40 years because right. of Disney, right? And there's a there's a richer history for it. I mean, we're here in Winter Park. Winter Park hasn't had to reinvent itself, but one of the beautiful things about Winter Park is the history of Winter Park, right? Mm -hmm. And why it was formed and the village that was created. It's because it wasn't as tied to agriculture as Sanford or right. Winter Garden. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that downtown and have to revise it, but it's the same. Right, it's the same concept. So I love things that create a sense of of history and character. And I do think as you think about entrepreneurs and the creative class, they love to be around those environments. So I think the more we have spaces like that and communities like that, I think it creates the brand and the types of things that I think we're trying to build the community. There are parts, listen, there are parts of the city proper of Orlando that are like that too, right? In Mills 50 and Thornton Park. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, so to me, I love spaces that, that, and maybe it's because I come from the Northeast, which has a little more of that history. Places that that protect and cherish the history of the community, but you know, revitalize it and tweak it in a way that that brings us into the future. So, I mean, I love that stuff. I thought something interesting that I read that you said was talking about embracing the specific innovation to Orlando. People don't think of Orlando as this innovative hub, yeah. hub, mm -hmm. but something you expressed was that. When it comes to hospitality and amusements, like we are incredibly innovative. So embracing those types of businesses and building upon that. So let's jump now into the, I think, which is the, the main focus of the conversation, which is innovation within Central Florida and yep. where we're going and maybe some things we need to improve on. So start with just innovation in general here. We're starting to be known a little more, which is a good thing. I mean, I you know, there's been a lot of people who've put a lot of effort in over the last 10 years to start to, you know, build the ecosystem and, and get, get the word out. I'm, I'm not one of those people who think, Oh, if we just tell our story better, because I, I you know, there's a fallacy around that. I think stories get told when there's stories to tell mm -hmm. and we could do a better job of communicating, but, but to me it's been, you know, how do you really build the, the, the base? And I think what's cool is you're starting to see the, the seeds that were planted five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, you know, now start to come to fruition, whether it's investments that have now had exits or or organizations that are now able to stand on their feet or or an organization like the Orlando Economic Partnership deciding that having something called the Orlando Tech Community as part of the overall branding of or on the umbrella of the Orlando Economic Partnership is really important to the future of Orlando, right? Not just supporting the big businesses that are here or purely the tourism and hospitality industry um you look at a lake nona that when i first moved down here what was lake nona right cattle and mm -hmm. it was empty right it was, and, yeah. and look at lake nona now um and it's clearly a hub for innovation in uh in human performance improvement in healthcare, uh in sports medicine um so you've seen all these things you've seen all of these things happen um people are finally starting to recognize as i said earlier that you know out at UCF and the research park out there. I mean, we are we are the national home for modeling and simulation for the defense industry. And EA's built an amazing gaming business here. And UCF has has one of the best graduate programs, graduate schools in the country uh, for digital media and and gaming. So a lot of this has always been for me about how, what is the overall impact of this on the broader the right. broader community, right? And how do you increase opportunity for people in the community? How do you, you know, get us out of being the 49th or 50th out of the top major metropolitan areas in terms of wages? I'm a strong believer that creating more innovation jobs, particularly early stage and entrepreneurial jobs that scale and stay in the community has got to be a critical part of that. So 
I'm excited to see some of that stuff happening. Well, let's talk about a little bit about <clears throat> what you're a part of now, because I can I can sit here and list it all, list them all out. Yeah. Um, what you're actively doing, what you're actively involved in, right, from you know, in regards to just innovation, in Central Florida, cultivating entrepreneurship, uh, whether it's through UCF, Rally, Orlando Economic Partnership, any of that stuff. Feel free to just kind of list them out. So the UCF thing. Um, was great. About four years ago, I got asked by Thad Seymour, who was the interim president at the time. Um, kind of, you know, was there, there was right. some transition there before before Alex, Dr. Cartwright came in, and he really had a vision around some of the stuff we were having conversation we had before about clustering, and and how does the incubator and the university serve as an accelerant to that clustering? And so we transform several of our incubators that are that are in proximity to the university to, to the physical university campuses downtown, the main one out in the east side of town, mm -hmm. Research Park and, and Lake Nona, and have them really tie to some of the economic growth that's happening in those in those areas. So at Lake Nona, it's about healthcare. Downtown, it's about digital media, gaming, fintech, broader software applications. And at Research Park, it's very much about defense and cybersecurity and space and robotics and all the things that are tied to the expertise there, and so so I you know I I came on board to help build uh, the incubator downtown, and then also help us recraft some of the strategy around the incubators broadly. And I'm I'm proud of what we've been able to do there the last uh, the last four years, and uh, working with Caroline Dykes Logue, who's my my partner there, and really the the glue of that of that organization. Um, it's been great to be part of that. I love working. I, I love working with these entrepreneurs right. um, and if I can help them grow a little bit, right. uh, I feel like I feel pretty good at the end of the day. Gosh, I'm, I'm so proud of rally We we now at our fifth anniversary, just celebrate our fifth anniversary. This is our 11th cohort happening now. You know, I know you, I know you talked to Sean Seipler, uh, who's yep. been part of rally and, and sort of was my entrepreneurial entry into, into social impact. And I, I said to you earlier that, that the feeling that business should be a force for good in a community is is definitely embedded in my 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 DNA because of again I think growing up with 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 my stepdad in those pharmacies, but over time, particularly as I started to get involved in the community and I start to see how much, despite their best efforts, governments and nonprofits just just struggle to solve some of these pressing issues, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's poverty, whether it's a myriad of healthcare issues, whether it's a lot of our environmental issues, and. I really began to evolve in my thinking that the innovation of entrepreneurs need to have a bigger hand in these conversations. And I was on the board of the Central Florida Foundation. I still am. I was, I was on the board there at the time. And, and they were thinking about their role in that, in that area as well. And so we started an initiative called Entrepreneurs in Action, which, which initially was to provide free mentorship and free consulting to nonprofits thinking about how they created social enterprise models. And we worked with Lighthouse Works and Harbor House and a few other nonprofits. Um, it wasn't a very scalable model. We were, it was hard to get people to give that much amount of time. And, um, and then I met Ben Hoyer, who runs Credo Coffee, who'd be another great person yep. for you to talk yep. to for this. I, ben is an amazing guy and a, and, a, and a good friend. He had started this kind of interesting grassroots mentorship program called Rally Makers to help emerging social enterprises. What he was doing really wasn't very scalable either. So... Mark Brewer and I, who's the CEO of the, the Central Florida Foundation, we grabbed Ben and said, you know what, we need to be doing this together. Our models don't, one plus one will equal three here. And that's how we started right. Rally, um, which as you may know, so it's a, it's a twice a year accelerator program. It's four months. Uh, we started helping co uh, companies in our backyard, but now it's an international program. So we have about half the cohort generally is from Central Florida. We get support from the city of Orlando and, and Orange County, and so we want to help our backyard. But we get companies from from Asia and Africa really? and and South America and all across the United States. And for four months, we just you know we just really work to get these folks refine either their business model or what we call what what's called their theory of change, which is the the impact they're trying to make and how can they measure that. They go through the program, and then at the end of it, we do have a small social venture fund. That's EIA kind of became the venture fund. And so we've made several investments in early stage social enterprises here in the community. We've invested in a company that's gotten pretty well known here called Ecospheres, uh, which yep. has uh, using NASA-based technology that they licensed through a Rollins program to uh, clean polluted waterways. 
Um, we've invested in a company called uh, Archer Systems, which is using drone technology to deliver Narcan and defibrillators via drone in places that an ambulance can't get to fast enough. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I, I love the work we do at Rally, and uh, to get it this far is pretty, you know, pretty cool. I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of explain to people how you can make money and an impact <laughs> at the same time. It seems very confusing to a lot of people, but it's pretty fortunately, simple. Yeah, fortunately, it's actually less confusing all the time. And part of the reason we started the fund was to be able to begin to prove to people that you, these companies could uh, be investable and be investable at the same level as a company that that didn't have that impact. Right. When they get it right, the, the, the synergies of those two businesses actually feed each other. And so the more mission actually drives more, drives more profit. And you do not have to necessarily sacrifice the profits of the company to, to do that. And it, it, it's a little bit of the difference between, there's two terms that get confused a little bit, social enterprise and corporate social responsibility. And to some extent, you could argue that corporate social responsibility, certain elements of it, could be dilutive to margin because you're taking a percentage of your profits and giving it to something. Right. And that's, listen, that's like, God bless you for doing that. Great. Right. Um, in terms of how we look at social enterprise and rally, that would not qualify someone for getting into life. We're not, we don't work with companies that are just taking a portion of their profits and donating them. The core of the business itself the money-making part of the business itself solves a problem, right? So think about something like EcoSpears. They are not sacrificing margin to go clean those waterways. The simple fact that they get hired by you know, the Hudson River Valley Authority Association right. Right? Or, or Georgia Pacific to clean up a, a, you know, an old polluted waterway. That in itself solves the problem without having them having to make any changes to their financial model. Right. I will not say that every business can do that, but but to me, that's what a true, in my definition, and there are a lot of definitions, what a true social enterprise or a social impact enterprise is able to do. And to me, those companies are inherently investable. I think that's a perfect explanation. And it also kind of intertwines with Something I read on one of your websites as well with not only do people need to kind of transition their thinking in this aspect with uh, social enterprises, but specifically Orlando and the community we've talked about a little bit is going from those real estate agriculture investments to yeah. more what you're involved in now with tech and what that does in turn for the city as well. Yeah, I mean, that's still a transition in progress and I get it. You know, it's, uh, you know, now as you guys know, I just launched, uh, we just closed on a new uh, a new venture fund, which is a little, our, our EIA fund was by design very small. So it was very much a friends and family thing. It wasn't as hard to find those investors because that those folks were already around the circle of rally and said, hey, let's all pony up and get into this fund. Whereas Govo, the fund we just launched is, is you know more of a traditional venture fund, although we've got a very specific industry niche that we could talk about. <clears throat> it Listen, it's still hard to have some of those conversations with the, you know, the guy or the gal that's you know, well, shoot, I can just go build a shopping center or I can, you know, I could go build some homes. And, and you know, Florida is still a real estate driven economy from an investment standpoint. But I do think people are starting to realize that you, you, you obviously you can make returns and, and if you do it well, higher returns um, than you might in traditional real estate. But that's a constant, you know, that's a constant battle and conversation. It's right. getting better. Right. It's getting better. Uh, more people are open to it, um, and I think, and I think partially because you're right, it is sort of a cycle that feeds each other because they hear about Illuminar going public, they right. see Fat Merchant Stacks doing well, they'll hear about an exit, and they'll go, "Well, why wasn't I part of that?" Well, you probably were asked, and you decided to just continue investing in your hotels. Yeah, and I, th I think you, Orlando, like you mentioned as well, is uniquely positioned for this next wave as well due to simulation, hospitality industry, some fintech successes yeah. popping up as well. Yeah, there's and, no doubt. I yeah, mean, and I, go ahead and talk about Govo a little bit as well. Yeah, because, yeah you beat me to the punch there. That was my next yeah. on paper down. Yeah, right. no. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Look, UCF is is churning out some really bright, you know, engineering and, and computer sciences folks. And, you know, we're, universities constantly um, 
hackathons and cybersecurity contexts and and you know ranking at national and international schools we you know we stack up really you know really well plus of course in addition to the talent that just is 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 coming here um so there's all that potential and and opportunity govo um the new fund that that i launched with my partners came out of um kind of all of the things i've been working on being kind of coming coming together um and you know, I've talked about. I've been asked about a fund in the past. I've thought about doing a fund in the past, and it, it basically happened on a, a couple of days. At the, at the macro level, um, being involved in a lot of the social impact work that I'm involved in, a lot of those companies bump into government. Either government is their client, or there's a government regulation that either is a headwind or a tailwind. Let's go. Let's go to EcoSpheres again. To some extent, they have a tailwind because of changes in EPA regulation and a real desire to pump money into cleaning these waterways, which is a great thing, right? But there's an example of that. And in fact, if I think about our old business connections, you know, we were the beneficiary of regulatory change. When the Bush administration made Medicare Part D a product, created Medicare Part D and changed Medicare Advantage into a compelling consumer product. All of a sudden, we went from a company that was kind of flat for three years to one that tripled in size in 18 months because of a government change. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, like I intuitively understood that and benefited from it. But, but the social impact piece sort of brought me, brought me back to that. And then if you overlay, let's just take the I-4 corridor, if not just all of Florida, and you look at the industries of growth, we'll you know, start on the East Coast with the space program, even though it's being privatized, pretty heavily government government involvement there, right? Move here. We've talked about defense. You know, we've talked about, you know, we've talked about healthcare. Um, there is an emerging energy and environmental tech uh, group here emer- of entrepreneurs. Again, heavily, heavily regulated by the government. Cybersecurity, AI, all of that. Increasing government scrutiny. I read a, a column by a uh, a, a representative from California a couple of weeks ago, an editorial in the New York Times, and he's suggesting setting up a national agency to regulate AI. Really? Doesn't surprise me. Right? No, it doesn't yeah. at all, right? Um, move further out west, right? You've got you've got Florida Polytech, right, in Lakeland, and they're one of the autonomous vehicle test sites. Move out to Tampa, there's a long history of, of successful healthcare fintech companies out there. Those industries sort of fit the thesis of an investment fund that that is going to invest in companies that are in regulated industries or those selling to government. And then the last piece was just, you know, finding the right team to work with. And I am friends with a gentleman named Jonathan Kilman who lived in Orlando but now lives in Miami. I, I know him for over a decade. We we met when we were first on the founding board of of Canvas, which you if anyone knows it now, they would know it as Starter Studio. It was a nonprofit workspace to provide shared shared workspace for tech workers. Yep. Before we work, before someone figured out they could make money at it, <laughs> we decided to do it as a nonprofit <laughs> to benefit the community, right? Which I'm glad we did. Um, so Jonathan, uh, Tristan has been a lobbyist and a government affairs person, but he'd always work with innovative technology companies. And so he also came from this mindset that government increasingly is either an accelerant or break to a whole host of innovations as we move forward, not just fintech and healthcare, the industries you would tend to think that they're involved in. And I used to tease him because he'd be working for these companies and he might be able to influence a regulatory change at the state or the federal level or the city level. And I'd say, I know you get paid awfully well for what you do, but you are unlocking enormous value for these companies that you're not participating in. Mm. And, uh, we kind of rekindled our friendship when I ran for mayor and he, be, you know, he really helped me with the campaign. And so we've, we've had these ongoing conversation over the last four or five years around that point. And finally, both of us said, you know what, we're just going to, we're going to go try to make this, this, this happen. Um, and that was the genesis for Govo. Um, uh, Jonathan had been working with a gentleman named Brian D'Ambrosio, who's a, got both a healthcare and, a, and an institutional finance background out of New York. He came on board to work with us. And then we, uh, we partnered with our, our friends here at 1858 Capital, um, who I have long friendships with, um, to provide our back office. So um, 
we closed, you know, we closed the, we had our first close in December. We've already made our first investment. Uh, but I'm excited about it. Cause again, it, it, to me, it sort of fits on candidly at this part of my life. I, I really only want to be involved in right. things that, that a I'm passionate about B I think I can make a difference in and C will have a positive impact on, on the community that I'm in. Just, just, there's no reason for me to do anything else at this point. And, and Govo, you know, fortunately fits, you know, fits all those, those boxes for me. So I'm excited to see where we can hopefully take it. Now, are y'all only operating in with central Florida or Florida, uh, companies, or are you guys expanding beyond the state? Yeah. We will invest outside of the state of the state of Florida, but I am hopeful, uh, that we will be able to deploy a lot of our capital here for all the reasons that we just, we just said. Right. And obviously, you know, my network's here, Jonathan's, Jonathan's network down in, in Miami. And if I look at just the 40 or 50 companies that have, that have kind of come to us since we announced just what, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, you know, I'd say probably 70% of them are in, or in Florida. So we'll, you will see. It should be natural. I mean, that's it's where a lot of the opportunities. It is again. It I, like. I, I gave you that map of right. kind of the I four corridor. So I think that's that's right, and that's exactly where we're seeing the companies. I mean, we're seeing a lot in the defense space. We're seeing a lot in in healthcare, tech, and services. Uh, we're seeing a lot of gov tech. So we're seeing a lot of companies who are selling to government. There is, I think we saw this during COVID. I mean, think what happened here at the state of Florida and just the cracks in the unemployment system. And you saw this all over the country there is a real desire and need to modernize the systems of government and how it interacts with the public. I mean, just think how long it took for the federal government to launch a website to send COVID tests to people's homes. It would have taken Amazon right. 10 minutes to figure <laughs> out how to do that, right? And and there actually is funding and money to to, to do that. So so there, we're seeing a lot of interesting companies that are working with city, state, mainly city and state governments to try to modernize things that will improve the experience for the citizens uh, and then hopefully for the government yeah. as well. So Without giving away your secret sauce, how yeah. do you do what you do at Govo to really unlock the potential of some of these companies? Yeah, for us, we think there's 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 a couple of factors here. One, hopefully, our expertise allows us to assess risk upfront better, right? So we'll make better decisions. This is more on the investor, the investor side of what we're, we're doing because the entrepreneur may have a great idea, but the practicality of it happening may not, you just may be too difficult, right? And so we can hopefully make some more educated guesses on those, on those things. Obviously early stage investing is, is, you know, you're, you're taking some bets right. to begin with, but, but right. But if you can, you can educate and shrink the, the risk profile, the better. And then hopefully, you know, part of our thesis is we really want to explore how can we help beyond putting capital to work. Now we're again, we're not a lobbying firm, we're not going to be lobbying government, but clearly we have relationships and 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 areas that we think we can help in terms of outreach and contacts. And so we're going to help our portfolio companies where where we can to to do that. It's definitely part of our thesis. But I do think it's a lot of it starts with the understanding of it, and I. I mean, I'll tell you right now, like our, our, you know, our first investment actually held their, that position open for us until we got our fund closed. It took us a few months longer to close it than we had wanted. And they held that position. And I, I think, I know part of the reason they held it was they wanted us to be part of their team. They felt we could provide some value to them beyond the, the money we invested, we invested in them. And Wow. Hopefully that'll be the case. You know, hopefully we'll be able to prove that out over the life now of the, of the fund. But that's the, you know, that is definitely the the intent. We typically end talking about the greater Orlando area, yeah. right? And so we talked about you running for mayor in 2018 of Orange County. Yeah. And I want to finish on a high note. Something we typically don't discuss because it's a smaller piece of the conversation is some of the things that Orlando needs to work on. We're not perfect, obviously. The, the yeah. city and this community needs to, to do a lot, yeah. a lot to fix. And so I want to talk a little bit about what needs to be done and not only what can be done from a, you know, a political level, but from a, you know, taxpayer level, what, what Jeff and I can go down the street and do. Um, so just what are you seeing? Where do you want to see us going and how do we get there? The last one is the easier one. Did both of you vote? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you're rare. 
I mean, sure. right. So, so again, I've only won one, you know, ran one time and it was primary, not in the general. Um, but I think in my race, I think about 25% of the, of the, of the voters voted. And I was told that that was high turnout <laughs> because there was, because I was also on the ballot with the Democratic and Republican primary for governor that year. And if you remember, that was out tightly, right? It was mm-hmm. DeSantis versus Putnam and Gillum versus, I don't remember who. <laughs> but it was, but, the, but it turned yeah. out, a, it turned out more people. Normally it's in the teens. Right. right. So, you know, people are excited that 25% of the population voted. Um, and frankly, it's, you know, it's, it's your demographic and younger that tends to be the least people to vote, right? So the, particularly at the local level, like it, it, it bothers me bothers me a lot that the people who really should be as closely tied to local government because that's where things happen that impact their lives. The younger they are, the less, for the most part, not everybody, pay attention to it. They'll get very up in arms around something that's happened in Washington. And I'm not saying it's not important, but pay no attention to what's happening. The tangible things that we see day to day that we can actually change. Yeah. So I think the best thing taxpayers could do Get involved, right? Go, you know, vote. Get, you know, understand the issues. Go vote. Because um, it's hard. Otherwise, you end up, you know, maybe picking the name of the guy or gal whose name you know or because you read something in the Orlando Sentinel mm-hmm. about him, right? Um, and so that's that's sort of my my general soapbox to the, the community at, at I think at, it's at fair. Large, right? <laughs> I mean, we just don't. We need more people to vote. So for more broadly for the for the community, it is it is I would say it's a little frustrating, and not because people aren't trying. So this isn't like people aren't doing what they what they should be doing or trying to do. But but to some extent, I could literally take out my campaign platform from two thousand and seventeen and eighteen, still relevant, and basically run on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right now, I will say part of that is because a lot of the things I was talking about, the two main things I was talking about, transformation of the economy and creating more high-wage jobs mm-hmm. and tackling affordable housing, those aren't things anyone's going to solve in right. four years anyway. Right. So, I mean, I, like in all fairness, and I feel like we're making some progress in the, those areas, but gosh, there's still major pressing issues. Um, affordable housing, if anything, has gotten worse. I will say I, I I give the the gentleman who beat me our current mayor Mayor Demings a lot of credit because over the course of the campaign affordable housing became something that he definitely focused on more and more and and he put a plan in action and on the private side both Disney and Universal have stepped up and they're starting affordable housing projects but it just isn't you know it just isn't enough my my biggest fear is all of the conversations about the affordable housing uh, projects are tackling the the really the lower end of the problem, which is an important one. But the problem in Orlando is, you know, we've got teachers and firefighters and police police folks and right. kids coming out of school and they can't afford a place to live. And some of the traditional affording affordable housing solutions aren't going to solve that problem. You need the market to get involved, the um, the workforce housing folks. And and it they need some incentives to do that, or they need some. There's got to be a reason for them to do that, uh, because they can uh, they can still make a lot of money, you know, building a more of a luxury tower in downtown. So, so that one really bothers me. And I and I at a certain point, it's a national problem. But you do wonder: is that going to be an impediment to the other side of it, which is creating an environment where people can grow these innovation jobs, um, particularly for early stage companies? You know, the cost of where you live is a factor. And Orlando, while still cheap by New York, Boston, California standards, that gap is that gap is shrinking, shrinking to some extent because of the cost of 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 housing on a on a per average basis. Mm-hmm. So I worry about that issue relative to some of the other things. On the innovation, on the innovation side, I do feel that we're a little more down the road. I think the challenge for us is just to stay consistent to keep moving things forward. I, I worry that the business community will not sort of stay engaged with local government in a way to make sure there is a partnership. I mean, I, I do see what Mayor Suarez has done in Miami and you do see what what just vocal leadership uh, can do 
in terms of galvanizing. Now, again, he's got a lot of other things going for him, a lot of Northeasterners who want to move to Miami and it's cool and it's sexy and I get all of that and maybe the crypto thing might take the bloom off that rose a little bit. But there's a lot of exciting entrepreneurial and innovative things happening in that community. And I do believe that a lot of, maybe a lot of it would have happened without some of the things that Suarez has done. But I also think he's been an accelerant to it. And I do think, I do think local government, the voice of local government matters in that. To, to expand on that, you kind of touched on with Miami. Do you think there's cities or communities that have done a great job with that balancing act? So you talk about how, you know, affordable housing, but also how that can counteract, you know, bringing someone to start a business here locally. Are there communities around the country who have done a great and job? Miami's got a huge affordable housing problem mm -hmm. too. So unfortunately, those, those, those two things don't admittedly work very synergistically with mm -hmm. each other, right? Because if you just do basic economics, you know, if you're growing that part of your economy and people are moving in and, and, and that part of, you know, it, it, income's going up in certain respects, then, you know, the demand side on the other side isn't, isn't going to help right. favor you there. Um, to me, the affordable housing issue to some extent really is just one of supply. Like we don't, we Absolutely. don't build enough of the right type of stuff to address mm -hmm. the issue. And so, so I don't know that anyone's, if you're asking me sort of in the context of both of those things, I, you know, I don't know. They're two, I think they're linked, but they're two very separate Competing. things and other, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I think, you know, I, I like a lot of what the Tampa St. Pete area seems to be doing in terms of not necessarily even just government, but how the different ecosystem partners are working there. Um, I think Orlando's maybe a few years behind them and and trying to move towards that 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 model with again, I think some some success. I, I'm I'm really optimistic and hopeful that some of the things that the Orlando Economic Partnership and this Orlando tech community subgroup that they've or sub organization that they've created there can can be a leading uh a leading voice uh in that in that area so what do you want to express to people that orlando has that they might not know so for someone from the northeast or from tampa even um who sees orlando as a tourism hospitality driven community what do you think this community has that's going for it that that people do not see from the outside I think they don't recognize the the talent of of the people that are here. I think there is a there is a ready, exciting workforce and smart workforce here. Um, and and I think that is not always thought of by by folks. I mean, there's a reason that Lockheed. I think over twenty five percent of Lockheed's Central Florida employees come from UCF. So. I think that's the biggest thing they may just not realize that we're we're cranking out more than folks that work in hotels and not there's anything at all wrong with with working in a hotel. But from the far, I think there's that 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 perception. Right. I also think to our earlier point as a as a place to live, the culture, history, art, restaurants, I get it. We're not New York City. You know, this is a a vibrant growing, diverse, creative community. And I think we're starting to see that again, not just in companies and jobs, but even in the types of restaurants are here and the mm -hmm. art that exists and the, you know, the, the protecting of certain neighborhoods. This is a, this is a, a, a really interesting community. And the other thing I think that people don't realize, which is uh, we're, most of us are from someplace else. And so for people that are interested in maybe coming somewhere and making it home and making it a better place, this is a really easy place to still do that. I mean, you are, we are still small enough that you are pretty much one degree separated from just about anybody in town, right? And we're still a place, we are still a place where, you know, if you wanted to be on the board of the art museum, just to pick something, you don't need to be the grandson of the, of the, person that gave you a million dollars 75 years right. ago to get on the waiting list for the board. We talked about bigger companies like Disney, Lockheed. Yeah. We talked about UCF and what they're doing. Yeah. Are there any lesser known companies who are driving our community forward that people might not be aware of? I mentioned EA before, and I'm not so sure everyone really realizes the impact of, of, of electronic arts in the community. Um, uh, because a lot of the, I think the programming at UCF and UCF's uh, growth in that area 
Some of that's because of the corporate relationship and partnership there. Um, as you think about us trying to transform downtown again and what's happening in Creative Village, EA moving their headquarters from Maitland, mm -hmm. sorry, city of Maitland, but I mean, EA moving from Maitland to downtown Orlando could really be a big game changer in terms of really building what I think everyone envisions for downtown. And I do think, I do think if you think about a lot of communities, man, a thriving downtown matters, right? I mean, as a, as, as a place for commerce and art and, and, and entertainment. And so that's, that's a big one. Um, I think, um, I do, I mentioned these companies before, but I, I, you know, I, I, I think Luminar going public, um, plus just the innovative work they're doing right. with, with autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, but I think that milestone matters. Uh, we don't have a lot of publicly traded companies here in Orlando. Um, starting to see companies like Stacks and other ones now have at least, you know, on paper, billion dollar valuations. Those things matter because it it rises the boats of the other companies that are right behind them. And it gets the broader, you know, the community, the the investors out in Silicon Valley and Boston and New York to pay attention to what's mm -hmm. you know, to what's going on here. So those milestones matter. Um, I, 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 as I said earlier too, I think what's happening in Lake Nona, I don't think that's stopping. So I, I think that will continue to drive growth and innovation in our community. And I think what's happening on the space coast is the privatization of, of space really should continue to be if that's not really Orlando proper, right? But but sort of it's the extended Central, Central Florida, Florida area. And I think you're going to see those areas kind of as we continue to grow, they're going to be clustered more together. What and I think the next thing we'll see in the space industry is you'll probably I would hope we'll start to see some earlier stage startups have to spin out to support the bigger companies that are out there. And it just broadens, right? That just broadens the eco the ecosystem. What would you say to the individual who's either a trying to start something new or trying to innovate within an already established company. So I look at Jeff and I, right? We're in the wealth management industry. That's yep. an old industry. Yeah. And it's been the same way for a very long time. And so we're trying to reestablish ourselves, right? And there's guys out there and girls out there who are trying to build something completely new that the world doesn't know about. What would you say to those people as they're, you know, going through their late 20s, early 30s and are about to get into the thick of it? one of the most challenging things to do in many environments is to kind of do a startup inside of an average established company. It's, it's really hard because the, the broader company has some goals and objectives that although your idea may be super interesting and fascinating, doesn't necessarily, right. Could even be counterproductive to the big company. Right. So, so I think if if you're gonna go down that route, when, by the way, it doesn't mean big companies don't need to innovate. They obviously do, right? And some companies set up innovation labs and innovation departments to do that. I would say the the fastest way for to success in that area is you probably do need to get some some buy in from from more of the the top. Otherwise, I think you might get, end up getting a little bit frustrated. And that's some more of just been more of my personal experience and background what I've seen it comes. It's it's a very hard thing to do, um, which is why I think some people end up leaving their company and then just, just starting it on their, on their own. Um, so on the, the habits and daily and, and daily yeah. stuff, again, at least for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer it as an investor and a, and a mentor, because to me, the two very much overlap. I, I think, um, discipline is something I really look for. You know, I really want people who really understand the importance of the day-in, day-out work. Um, look, personality matters, and 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 particularly in certain in certain roles, and, and and so you want some of that. But but you really want a certain seriousness of purpose that this person is going to, you know, not be frustrated because they're going to get frustrated every day starting something. That that's not going to constantly constantly deter them. Another thing I look for uh, just in general in life is, is, is a little bit of humility. When, when people try to convince me that they're the smartest person in the room or believe they're the smartest person in the room, I, I get a little bit nervous. Um, maybe they are, 
And sometimes they are. But history has told me that's often not always the case. And so that sort of is, I, I get a little bit concerned about it. Um, and I would say tactically, know your business. Right. I'm, 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 I was pitched the other day and great idea. Um, they're raising capital or no financials in the deck. And when I pressed them and asked them to send me projections and financials, they almost made like there was something wrong with me for asking that question. They said, well, it's all just about us, you know, capturing growth so we could go to our next round. Hmm. So that's a conversation that's not going to go very much further, right? Because um, that told me something about how they're thinking about their business. And as I said to them, I said, I said, look, I understand that. I get it. It's a growth-oriented business. But I'm trying to understand how you think about your business and how you're going to operate it. Right? There's got to be a plan associated with how you're going to get from state. Because I'm only going to, my money's only going to get you from A to B. Right. I, I at least want to understand that, not just People are going to continue to give you money and you're miraculously going to end up at stage C. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And I think particularly for the, some of the high growth companies um, where it's more about the next fundraising round, that's a little bit of a, a of a challenge. So, I, I mean, I, to me, I, I look for people that really understand or at least understand there's things they need to understand about their business. And, <laughs> and maybe they don't know them all yet because their team's, you know, not fully flushed out and they got flesh it out but like they're asking the right questions right, right. They're thinking about it right honestly appreciate the time and appreciate what you've done for the central Florida community can't wait to see what you all are doing and uh thanks. where orlando goes from here thanks thank I you so much it. yeah thanks, thanks for, for having coming. me that was fun